I've got a good one for you this week. This week is a book review, a book called The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf the Belly. And it's a really good book. And you look on the cover, if you're watching this on YouTube, I love the cover of this book because it's called The Art of Thinking Clearly. It's a very clear book cover. You've got the gold font there and the sort of gold leaf colour in the centre with the clear white background. It's got the word million there and it just looks very sort of aspirational and classy and it looks like this book's contents is worth a lot if it was to be given a monetary value. But anyway, I, that's not the reason I bought this book. I actually bought this on recommendation of one of my best mates. And it's really good. It's 99 short chapters on thinking clearly on various sort of pitfalls that you could fall down if you're when you're trying to think clearly and where humans generally go wrong and you've got the blurb on the back saying have you ever over overpaid at an auction have you ever continued doing something that you knew was bad for you have you ever taken credit for success but blamed failure on external circumstances have you ever invested time in something that that with hindsight just wasn't worth it these are things that we've all done if you're any normal person you've done them before and you know it's not right and it just explains how to avoid those that sort of way of thinking in future i'm gonna jump in there and although i can't cover every single chapter i've chosen my top six chapters in this book the first one is called confirmation bias and what confirmation bias is essentially is where people have a way of thinking that they're so sure on and they're so fixated on that they will always only look for things that back up their already existed way of thinking. I'll give you an example. You've got the person who's incredibly religious and says everything is down to an act of God. And they're always looking for ways to say that God is present and God exists and justify their way of thinking. So if something like a tsunami hits somewhere, loads of people die, they will ignore all of that and they will look for things that confirm their way of thinking and say, actually, you know, God saved those three people who, who, who made it through that tsunami and it was God who made sure that they were right. Could be someone who has previously rented out their property and they had some trouble with the tenant and they had to kick the tenant out, they said, right, never again. Letting properties is a mugs game. I'm never doing it again. It is a nightmare. And they'll always look for justifications for their viewpoint from then on. So they'll watch something like Nightmare Tenants on TV or some these sort of TV programs which shows landlords having a time, hard time. And they'll look at that and they'll go, there you see, I told you, it's impossible to rent out property without the headaches. It is a mugs game. And they won't look at the success stories that other landlords have had because they're, a person's mindset is more tuned in to looking for things that justify their way of thinking. If you, that sort of person who goes through life and thinking humans are inherently bad and everyone's out there trying to rip me off, you'll find evidence of that because you'll be subconsciously looking for that and that will further ingrain your already existing viewpoint that humans are bad and they're trying to rip, rip you off and you will ne you'll never look at the positives. You'll always be looking for that justification of your viewpoint. There's a really good quote in this chapter from Warren Buffett who says, what the human being is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. So this is quite a thought provoking chapter and I'm sure I've been guilty of the confirmation bias before and I need to learn to, instead of just looking for points of view that will just back up 
my already existing viewpoints. I need to find, keep an eye out for contradictory things that spring up. And one of the best in this book, it gives the example of Charles Darwin. He's always looking for contradictions to his rule. He was actually looking for something that contradicts the way of thinking back in the day, which was everything that exists on earth has been made by God. But then Charles Darwin would find things like fossils and say, well, actually, no, there's this thing called evolution. And then he'd come up with theories of how evolution works. But he'd still be open-minded enough to look for contradictory evidence to his theories. Another chapter I love in this book is about loss aversion. People are petrified of losing more than they're excited about winning. The If you were to lose £20, that loss of happiness, that feeling of you lose that happiness massively outweighs the gain in happiness that you'd get if you found £20 on the floor or if you won it on a scratch card. The feeling of loss is much worse than the feeling of happiness is for the gain, if you know what I mean. Maybe I haven't explained that very well. Very very well but people are petrified of loss and that's why people don't like to risk their money they'd rather just stay where they are uh, this fear of loss is actually used in sales a lot as well and in the book here it talks about an insulation company and the way to sell insulation to homes is not to say we can install insulation all around your building we'll save your bills by 50 pounds per month in fact the better way of selling the insulation is to put, give them the loss aversion, the fear of loss, and say, currently, how your house is uninsulated, you're paying 50 pounds a month more than you need to, and you're losing that money. And so you can frame it in a way that gives them that loss aversion, gives them that fear of loss. So you're more likely to get people to act a certain way when you include the fear of loss. If the government want to, say, get women screened for breast cancer, it won't be as effective if you say you get screened for breast cancer, you've got a better chance of identifying it and treating it. The more effective way of putting it would be to say you should get screened for breast cancer because if you don't, there's less chance of identifying it and getting it treated in time. That way you've put the fear of loss in there and that's what people react to more. Decision fatigue. I really like this one. I've heard about this one before, but this is essentially this is saying that you you have the energy to only make so many good decisions in a day. And you need to acknowledge that and you need to try and cut down on the unimportant decisions that you make in a day. And immediately I'm thinking Mark Zuckerberg. Everyone talks about how he wears the same kit every single day. I, I used to like wearing a school uniform because I wouldn't have to think about what I put on in the morning. But yeah, you find people like this Steve Jobs with his polo neck and his trainers, Mark Zuckerberg and various other people like that, successful CEOs. They want to cut down on the number of decisions that they make in a given day so that they can save their decision-making muscle for the important stuff. So you've got Mark Zuckerberg in that characteristic T-shirt. It also talks in this chapter about... how the furniture store IKEA, this is, I don't know if this is a theory or this is actually what IKEA have said, why they, why they set out the stores the way that they do, but apparently IKEA know about this feeling of decision fatigue and that's why they put the canteen in the centre of the store. So that as you're working your way down IKEA, you start buying various items of furniture, you can feel your decision fatigue wearing, you're thinking, right, let's, let's just get home now, we've bought 
various items of crap, let's just get in, but actually let's just stop off for a few Swedish meatballs on the way. Your blood sugar levels are topped up again and you're ready to make some more decisions because you've got more energy to make those decisions. You could link the decision fatigue chapter to another chapter in a book which is called the choice paralysis, which is obviously where you give someone so much choice that they don't make any decision at all. And there was an experiment conducted in a supermarket where they were selling jams. They had a huge selection of jams, maybe 15 jams, and people just weren't really buying any. When then they tried it again the next week and they just offered two flavours of jam and they sold heaps of it. You could also say that this is prevalent in uh, current day society with internet dating. People are given so much choice. I've got two mates who, well, let's say that their nickname is the Tissue Twins, right? Because they are often without a girlfriend. Well, they've, they've rarely ever got a girlfriend, right? These two. But they do internet dating, which is great. But because they're given so much choice, they can never settle down with one girl. Or they never really make a decision on one girl. So they never got a girlfriend. So they're always ever hopeful on Tinder, swiping through the photos. Photos, Maybe that part of that is down to choice paralysis and they just can't decide which one to go for. Number four is called effort justification. Now we've all been there, I've been guilty of this definitely, but wherever there's an initiation or something that causes a lot of effort or pain or humiliation or some hardship to get through, you're gonna always overvalue the result at the end. If someone does up a rusty old car and they put in hours and hours slaving away and they've hardly increased the value at all, they've pretty much just wasted their time. They're always going to think it's going to be worth more than they can actually then sell it for. If you, another example, if you're in the military and they've got an initiation uh, ceremony or programme or something like that, you're always after it, you're going to be thinking, right, I really belong to a good group of uh, people here. I'm really proud to what I belong with because you've gone through all of that pain and effort in getting there. I would give the example of this. I would say people who, who have degrees. They've spent three years at university or four or whatever the course is. They put in all this hard work. Usually it means fuck all, but they're always going to overvalue the, the fact that they now have a degree because it's cost them so much money to do and they've wasted so much time doing it, they'll always overvalue it. So it's effort justification. Whenever something is very hard to do, it's quite useful, useful way of manipulating people really, but if you create some sort of barrier and some sort of effort that they have to give before they've done it, they'll always overvalue the result. Next chapter I love, it's called Why You Should Set Fire To Your Ships. And I'm gonna just read you off a story from this chapter. I'd never heard it before, before reading this book and I really like it. In the third century BC, General Zhang Yu sent his army across the Yangtze River to take on the Qin Dynasty. While his troops slept, he ordered all the ships to be set alight. The next day he told them, you now have a choice. Either you fight to win or you die. By removing the option of retreat, he switched their focus to the only thing that mattered, the battle. I love this. I, I love how he did that. I think that's um, a really good story. And it just shows that if you really put, if you put yourself in a position where you have got to succeed no matter what, you put yourself so your back's up, up against the wall and you've just got to do it, you're much more likely to do it. You're much more likely to 
if you're feeling I want to start running more regularly, but it's not happening for you, if you go and actually sign up for a marathon that's happening in two months' time, you will have to start training and you'll have to start getting out there. Come rain or shine, you'll be out there running. Or if you want to get out on your bike more and you think that's my sort of fitness goal, if you sell your car, you're going to have to be out on your bike more because you've got no other choice. So putting yourself in a position where you've got no choice but to do something, I think that's great. So that chapter's called Why You Should Set Fire to Your Shit. My sixth and final chapter of the top six chapters of this book that I really like is one called The Anchor. And it's how people can set an anchor to numbers or dates that they want you to go from or go off. And you find this in supermarkets sometimes when they have bottle of Bordeaux wine, was £30, now only £10. They've just set an anchor, they've given you the first anchor at £30, so anything below that looks like a reasonable price. You can set an anchor in as giving a quote to someone, say we did a similar job to this last week and it was £3,000. Immediately then the client who's getting the quote is going to think anything under £3,000 is quite good because the anchor's set at 3000 and so dropping anchors in is quite an effective tool. I've done it on the wine list at the restaurant in that the very first product they see when they open the wine list is the champagne page and so it's a Verve Clicquot champagne which is mega posh champagne I think the bottles are £57 or something like that. It's quite expensive. But that sets the anchor. And then when they turn the page onto the wines, or the normal bottles of whites and reds wines, in comparison to the £57, all of those wines then look very reasonable because you've set a, a, a subconscious anchor in the customer's mind. So I love how... And this is a fact they've done lots of tests on this. And if you can, get, if you can set that anchor in the person's mind who you're trying to manipulate... That's very effective. There's loads too. more in this book. There's loads of good chapters. I've really enjoyed reading it. There's one on like the Pareto 80 to 20 rule, falsification of history, where our memories can literally, our memories of an event will literally change to what we want wanted to happen or how we would like to remember it, which is quite similar to uh, the confirmation bias. But there's one on uh, cognitive dissonance which is, I first heard about it in a book called Black Box Thinking, and this cognitive dis dissonance is where people actually refuse to admit that they're wrong and start reinterpreting the events, similar to that way your memory can be manipulated to how you want it to be, and they simply refuse to believe the facts that they're in front of them in their face. I digress. Black Swans, there's a chapter here on Black Swans, you know, massive events happen that massively alter your life, First impressions, why why we really remember the beginning and the end of a story. Uh, the sleeper effect of propaganda. The placebo effect is a good one. Winner's curse talks about auctions. And when you say you've had, you won, you were the winner of an auction or you had the winning bid, you're actually often the person, the only mug in the room who's willing to pay that much money for it. And you're actually the biggest loser sometimes. There's a chapter in here called Social Proofing. Um, talks about that there's heaps of really really good stuff in this book and uh, I've enjoyed it